Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and today we have fashion designer Scott Studenberg joining us. Scott has worked in the fashion industry for more than a decade and is the founder, creative director, and designer of the ambisexual clothing line Baja East. Scott's brand has been nominated for some of fashion's most prestigious awards in the past five years. Scott likes to refer to his brand as Loose Lux, which, quite frankly, sounds a lot like me. Scott and I have been good friends for nearly seven years now, and I'm grateful that he is here with us today to share all of his highest highs and lowest lows. Welcome, Scott. Hi. And for those of you who don't know him physically, he is always giving off a much more sexy version of Magnum P.I. meets Freddie Mercury on the beach. (laughs) I'll take that. Yeah. You are. You are on the beach is the important part. On the beach. On the beach. On the beach. Like in the shorts. (laughs) Whenever I see any old episode of Magnum P.I. because they did a crossover with Murder, She Wrote. My favorite. Oh. And you are always like giving me that sexuality. The brows, the stash, especially now. He has great legs. I think you need to be careful. My stash is essentially a third brow. Ultimately. Yes, we're right. doing a third yeah, route. It's, it's for balance. And is it also maybe bringing out the third eye, huh? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so that is always the vibe I'm getting from you. All right? I wish we could like insert the theme song. I'll have to look into the <laughs> <laughs> what the sort of legalities of that are. I want to start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. What was it like growing up as a young, closeted gay male in West Bloomfield, Michigan? You grew up in the 80s, right? Or mm-hmm. late 80s? Yeah, no, I was born in 83. It was cute. Like, the area, it wasn't like... I was in the suburbs of Michigan, so... Like, of Detroit. So, I wasn't... I wasn't, like, on a farm. I wasn't, like, in Detroit in the city. Like, right. I could never claim Eminem, Kid Rock moment, like, status. Um, but, I don't know. I grew up in, like, pretty... I liked, like, I'm very, like, thankful for my upbringing. I don't know. It was, like, normal. I did the bar mitzvah circuit, like, when I was, like, 12, 13, (laughs) you know. Was this Bloomfield Hills? Yeah. Yeah, West Bloomfield, Bloomfield Hills. But then I, um, I mean, I knew from when I was, like, in middle school, I knew I wanted to work in fashion because I would get, like, magazines and, like, kind of devour them and, like, look at all the... I just was always interested in that. Uh, There was really very few opportunities for me to even like look at fashion outside of like there was like one area called Birmingham and one area called Royal Oak that were like edgy okay um so I would like go there but like I knew always that I would move to New York okay so even though I went to Michigan State after high school for a year um the entire time I was well number one I was closeted still I was dating girls in a frat like it was a whole even at 18 uh, yes, 17, 18. So the, you weren't out 
of the closet. When I, right when I moved to New York, right okay. before I moved to New York, I had like a girlfriend that I went to Michigan State with who was also like, we were like trying to get out. We'd look at like Parsons and FIT and like any fashion school there was. We were like trying to figure out how the fuck to get out of Michigan um, because we knew there was like nothing there fashion wise for us. Yeah. Um, so then actually what I did, I was, mo- I started modeling when I was 16 in Michigan. Okay. And then had like gone to Toronto for a summer before I went to Michigan State and did like all this like commercial modeling basically for like catalogs and stuff. And I've seen the photos. then I used that as a reason to go to New York the summer after my first year at Michigan State. I told my family I was going for the summer, had an agency, went on castings and stuff, had my first gay experience, which was very Samantha Sex in the City. Was and this then for a, a job? No, it had nothing to do with okay. work. It just had happened to happen like All right. while I was there, um, which I talked to my friend about before leaving Michigan State. I was like, we were like, I'm like, I think I might be gay. I'm attracted to men. I've never been with one. And we're like, our deal was like, okay, well, if something happens, just like go with the flow. Okay. So I went with the flow. It was a lovely flow. Been on that flow ever <laughs> since. Um, but I tricked my family, basically. I didn't trick them. I just went for a couple months. And then the night before Yom Kippur, I was like, um, I'm taking a year off school. I'm moving to Milan for two months to model and I'm gay. And right. I'm like, uh, happy new year. Mazel tov. Yeah. Mazel tov. Happy new year. So, um, yeah. So then I didn't go to school for a year. I figured, cause also, which was the best thing ever, because then I became a resident of New York. So I could go to FIT as a state resident, which is like way cheaper. Okay. Um, which was, that's, you know. How did you become a resident of New York? After you live, after your name's on a lease for one year in New York, you're a resident. So I took the year off, um, had a place, and yeah. It was like I lived in the West Village in 2002. I had like a studio that half the size of the room we're in. Um, We're in a very big room. I just want everyone to know that that is listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And so that's... Yeah. So I moved there and literally, if I have kids, I would never let them move to New York when they're 18. That's literally insane. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm very. I moved but to I'm New York very, when I was when I was nineteen. So why would you? Why would you say that? Moving there. That it's just sucking was, dick, and that's it. No, I mean it was just my friends right away were in nightlife, and okay. I. The second day I moved there, I worked in restaurants. Um, that was the deal. I would get like a job when I worked there. I worked at a coffee shop in Union Square. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was the late night maitre d'. So I was always like up late and after work. And then I worked at this place, Bond Street. And then after work, we would always go out. Like it was just like part of the culture. Like we'd go out to clubs and like clubs, they closed at four, but then there would be something else. So I was like 18, 19, just going out, which, you know, in retrospect, great. I got all that out of my system. By the time I was 21, I didn't even want to like go drinking for my birthday. Like I didn't care. So I got a lot out. I didn't die and because I totally could have. And I grew up like pretty fast, which yeah. is, which, which was awesome. And then it got me in this mode of like work. Like I always was working. I was always doing stuff. I was always like trying out new things. And I love that about New York because even when I was in school in New York at FIT, I didn't want to be in school. I was like, school sucks. And I, on the side, I would, even though that's what I always wanted to do was be at FIT, I would always be like figuring out what I could do on the side or, you know, like I just would always meet people and I would just like, I was never scared to try something. 
Yeah. Um, the we one thing I was, I was scared though, because everyone thinks that I went to FIT for design. I was too scared to do design. I didn't want to learn how to sew. I didn't want to I have to that learn. right here. Oh, you do? You're asking? Yeah. Yes. No, no, no. Should, no. I, I, just, not, I, should I, I let you ask? No, I just want to interrupt you to tell everyone how prepared I am <laughs> because I know that you went on to major in advertising and marketing. Yes. Do so, tell. I remember having this conversation with my dad on the phone when I was probably like 19 or 20 and I was like figuring out what I was going to do. I knew I was going to FIT and he's like, well, there's this guy named Mark Jacobs and he makes a lot of money. So maybe you should consider that. Oh and I'm like, my no, gosh. I don't think I have enough ideas. I'm too scared. I would run out of ideas. And also I don't want to be like pinning and draping. Like that's not my journey. Um, but what was my journey was learning the business side of it because I felt like I already had developed an eye for things. Um, and I didn't think people could teach me that, um, which I think I was right about. I think, you know, there's always like practice and you're learning things, but basically I ended up learning the business side. But then at the same time, I was like doing things on the side, like working in event production for like fashion events or I uh, slowly modeling just dissipated because I just was not good at being someone else. I was, I'm like really good at being me and that I learned that over the years. So that's why you didn't like modeling really. Also, in 2002, being gay and a model wasn't like how it is now. Like, if you're gay and a model now, if you're trans and a model now, you're like it. <laughs> I mean, that they're, you're embraced in the industry, I would say. Right. And, and gay guys in, in the industry are much more embraced. But in 2002, it was like very still like Marcus Schenkenberg, Antonio Sabato Jr., Abercrombie, like masculine guy. And mm. I was like twinkish kind of feminine and it wasn't really a vibe that whole situation didn't start until like i'd say the mid 2000s is when that started becoming something the twinkies weren't in the skinnier like yes. guys weren't in right can then. you tell was, i know what a twink is but can you tell our listeners a twink's like a young gay okay like not like a uh, and a bear is like a burly, like yes. hairy, like big dude. And I, I love that there are also otters because I love Correct. otters. Yes, there's otters. And what are otters in the game? They're world? like a. Th- uh, they can still have a little hair okay. on them. They're fit. Wolves are another. They're like they're like very like a little hair, but like muscular. And then you could just make shit up in between. You could ultimately. say there's like penguins. Because I don't think I'm an I don't <laughs> think I'm an otter, but I'm definitely not a wolf because I don't like go to the gym that much. It's not that big of a priority for me. I didn't know there were. Wolves. But I'm like bigger than an otter, and I'm like 37, so I can't really like, and I'm not a bear, so I'm just like, um, I, um like again, I'm me. So you're just like Twinkie forever. I definitely don't want to be a twink forever, no. Okay, so we we But that but so I was so modeling didn't work. It wasn't like my my vibe. Um but I loved that experience because I understood I don't know, I just understood. I'd been on many shoots and mm-hmm. in showrooms and things like that. So I started seeing different areas of fashion and like when I'd be I remember I did Calvin Klein underwear showroom one time and I was with all these other guys and I'm like this is hot. Anyway, but we would Wait, go in. Wait, you were in, in your underwear? Yeah, they'd bring us all into this room okay. in our underwear and show their sales team from across. Um, the, the, they'd bring everyone in from like their like Europe and Asia and whatever. And they'd have all their sales like directors staring at us in underwear. But I'd see them have conversations about 
the new fabric and this is the bamboo with the um you know right. like in the palm print and so then they basically did this to like place orders for okay. their boutiques and everything so then i'd like see things like that you know what i mean but then also be on shoots and understand how photographers and stylists and all of that part worked which then inspired me to just meet other photographers and models and then just make up like test shoots and just like do shit so Shoots you weren't modeling on, like you were just yeah sort of putting them together. Yeah, styling find, production exactly. Yeah, okay. And then which then I put on my I used to just get other jobs. And then at one point I was um, doing like event production for like all these Tom Ford events and Catherine Malandrino. Um, and then I worked at W Magazine in production. That's where I got my first like full time job. Um, and I stopped working in restaurants around that like bef- a little bit before that to specifically get out of that loop of going out after and like being drunk all the time and you know well in New York you can go out all night and even when I lived in New York it was like you'd always not come home till like five in the morning it's just very different in LA Mm -hmm. um so then I started working at W I got like this whole other thing I was in I was the assistant bookings editor so I book all the shoots the photographers the models the hair the makeup their flight their travel like everything like all that stuff so I understood that aspect but I knew then that wasn't creative. So I knew that I wanted to work more in creative. Then I randomly met this girl, Julia, who I became one of my good friends through friends at a dinner party. And she's like, my boss is looking to hire someone in sales. I'm like, well, I don't really have like sales experience. Um, but I had worked randomly at like, I would go from Sephora to Sephora to Sephora. I worked for like a skincare brand and a hair care brand, like Oscar Blondie. And I would go and you do these like trainings with people. So that was my sales experience. But, um, so, and I, I knew I was like good with people. Um, and that's something I didn't necessarily utilize when I was at W. So when Julia came, I met her boss, um, I, at first I think it was too, I was like, this was when I wasn't super confident because it wasn't something I'd done. It was, it was Lanvin. It was this like amazing brand who was like having a moment and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. I don't know. I, I said no first. But you met her and what, and she wanted to, because you, you eventually became the sales, sales director at yeah. Lanvin for yes. five years. Yeah. So she approached you and said, do you want to be a sales director? No, I was uh, an account executive. Okay. And but then they ended up hiring someone else who had specific sales background okay. who didn't work out. And then she came back to me and she's like, "I think this is for you." Like mm-hmm. my boss wanted me to hire someone else who had experience. I did that for them. They didn't work out. Let's try this. So I did, and it was amazing and that part of learning about the fashion industry and the sales aspect of it was actually what gave me the confidence to launch my own brand because over five years, I started as an account executive um, and then became the sales director for North North and South America. And I understood everything about retailers and how buyers in San Francisco versus Rio would like what product they were looking for, you know, Um, and traveled around everywhere, like to every Neiman's, Nordstrom, Barney's, Bergdorf, Barney's RIP, um, but like, uh. and would go in the, be there at 8 a.m., 8.30 a.m. with um, like a group of like 20 to 50 people sitting there with their arms crossed, furious that they have to sit through this like clinic is what we called it. And I would then bring the new collection, yeah, it sounds like an audition. have some models <laughs> and be like, this is a $2,500 cocktail dress, such a great price. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I would do that all. And at the time it was for that woman. Yeah. 
that was a great price yeah, you're like, for her. A steal. It was a steal. Mm-hmm. It was a steal. Yeah. So like tops starting at six hundred dollars. Yeah. But this was, but also everything was made in Paris. Everything or in France. Everything. You don't need was, to justify Lanvin to me, but yes, yeah. it was a different era. And it was a different. Could, it was the era of the ballet flat. Yeah. So. Um, Can we go back to that era, please? <laughs> <laughs> please. <laughs> but honestly, those ballet flats weren't that comfortable. Everyone convinced themselves they would literally oh, I had the, the elastic red in the back. I you'd the have to stretch leather. them yeah. out. No, you'd have to certain the fabrics were good. There was like a lamb skin that would like, but yeah. if you got a patent, you were fucked. I had the red patent leather. Yeah, not. It's, and I would put the little the for the blister, and then the head yeah. sock, and then walk, and it still didn't work. But there was like this one and a half inch wedge on the. It was like a there. There were great things. Anyway, I learned a lot about merchandising and about what women wanted and how yes. they shopped. And I saw a void in the market for this idea of what I then came up with was loose luxury, like the cashmere, like zip you're wearing. Like there wasn't a brand doing there. There were other cashmere brands, but none who were doing them like I like in a. In like the way cool that way. I thought. There were cool ways. There was, you had the elder statesman who was doing his thing and um, Rafe Adelberg, which that, that was his ex-business partner. And they were doing cool stuff. Um, Rafe was more about like the tie-dye and like um, elder states was more about this like um, raw cashmere that had this like really soft effect. And no one was doing jacquard, um, yeah. like what you're wearing. No one was really doing that. There was like, um, what's his name that are the crystals and like the skulls, um, Lucian Pelophonet. He would do some too. But there wasn't like an, um, anyone, no one was doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I saw, so that was part of the loose luxury. And then I, we would do like these, like, and I started it with, um, my best friend at the time and who also worked in sales. And we did that for four and a half years. We were able to like launch the brand with 17 of the world's like best luxury retailers, which was insane. Like Net-A-Porter, Bergdorf and Barney's were fighting over the collection of who was going to launch it in New York. I bought this hoodie I'm wearing right now that full was, price that was like everyone you know no, don't tell anyone how much I paid for this <laughs> but I remember actually we were at a party for for by Lee Walker yeah, in LA yeah. you were there and I remember both you and your partner at the time were so impressed that they were like how are you wearing this I was like I bought it bitches <laughs> Like, like, it was I actually... weird though because at that time seeing real people yeah. who we didn't know wearing it that was like so cool yeah um, and it's by the way and I'm a um, quality whore if it's that's not, held up that's well I take care of my stuff mm-hmm. but it, it really has held up because a lot of stuff will just <sighs> especially a knit fall apart so that was in 2013 right that you started Baja East yeah, yeah. like but uh-huh. then it kind of it it really launched then, right? In 2013? Yes. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing. Literally, but for my whole life, I've never really known. Like when I was at Long Van, I didn't know what I was doing. I just learned. I remember my like first week there, I made note cards because I was going right into market. Which right. is market is when you see all of the read they all come, all the retailers from basically first you do it in New York, so all the US ones come, and then you go to Paris and then you see all the international people, which is like this whole thing. So I got thrown into the world of retail and sales. So I made note cards so I knew all the buyers' names and the VPs and the right. DMMs. And so then when I like and then I literally I was like I would Barney's, I had everyone and I memorized them. So okay. I was like very passionate about what I was doing because I didn't know what I was doing. So I'm like, okay, well I need to like fucking figure it out. Yeah. So same thing with, same thing with, you know, um, 
design. I knew merchandising, mm-hmm. which is like basically like assorting a collection because you can have this runway collection, like Lanvin, like Albert would do these collections on the runway. I'd say like less than 50% would actually go into production. Plus, and then you'd layer on these commercial items like a sweatshirt with the same print as that gown on the runway. And that would be the merchandised part of it that everyone would buy for the boutique and Neiman's would buy it in two colorways of the print, but it wasn't on the runway. So that was merchandising. So to understand, you know, what are you showing in the lookbook and then what actually is being produced. And in the beginning, we wanted everything to be, you know, wearable. It wasn't about this like idea of runway and fantasy so much. It was more this like a attainable lifestyle if you were rich. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone wants to be rich. So if there's a t-shirt that you can afford from a brand that's expensive, you'll buy that and feel like you're part of it. Yeah. So Scott keeps hitting the table. Yeah, it's really a problem. Over there. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, so, yeah, so I so knew about merchandise. You had, but you had, or at least to the outside um, eye, you had a lot of early on success with with Vi East. I mean, it, yeah. not, maybe not right that I'm not saying in 2013, but eventually everyone from Celine Dion, Lady Gaga to J Lo, they were wearing your creations. Things were. Yeah in quotes, thriving. And yeah, and Gaga and Celine, like that's how I became friends with Gaga because she started ordering like stuff originally. She just like loved what we did and started paying for it. Right. Um, Celine, same thing. She started paying for it. I'm not friends with Celine, but I've met her before. Well, I like to know that these people are paying for when they have money. Celine, I actually got connected to through L'Envin. Finally, at the very end of when I worked there, I'd seen her Vegas show three times already. And I was, I had quit. I knew I was starting my own brand and I'm, I'm like to the Vegas boutique. I'm like, you guys, I know I've never asked you for anything. I'm like, can I please, can I please, can you like connect me? I've bought my ticket already. I'm not asking for free tickets. I just want to meet her. So, but then I, through that, I developed a relationship with her VIP team at the Coliseum who are amazing people. And then even though I didn't meet her that first time, I ended up developing a relationship with her where she started buying Right. Our clothes. And then finally I met her like years later. Okay. Um, which All right. she's an interesting one. Very right. cool. Very, very in her own amazing world. She seems awesome. Um, you, and I'm sure that was really excited, exciting for, I'm going to have to take that back. I'm sure that was really exciting for someone who grew up in West Bloomfield and then suddenly you're in this sort of throw of success in the fashion world. I mean, that's un- not everyone even gets there. Yeah. Don't you think? Or yes. you weren't, did you recognize that at that time? No, I never recognized. No, that's not true. I just, I think I'm in a very different place in my life now. So when I look back, I don't think I took in very much of what was happening and took a moment to be like proud of myself or give myself credit. Uh, I just right. thought things were cool. I'm like, wow. And then I would always be doing the next thing. You were just going through the, the next motion. few things. I, so it was always just kept happening because run, I was running a company with my um, best friend at the time. We lived together. We worked from our living room. Um, we were always just doing stuff and we had one employee at the time. So we were always busy and traveling and going and doing things. So it never really set in. It was always just a cool thing that you could put on Instagram. But right. it was never... I just feel like I've grown up a lot, especially since I've taken on the brand solo and right. am much more spiritual now and thankful for things on a daily basis, even if 
things are fucked up and going wrong, I'm still thankful for whatever I can find in that day to be thankful for. Right. You know? And I think that's a very different thing. So now when things happen, I'm like, wow, that's, I try to give myself credit so then I can like, I don't know. It's different. Yeah. It's That's different. good. I mean, you Also, I was thir- 30 when I started the brand. Okay. And I feel like, I don't know. Well, it's, what's interesting is that you said a quote in an article where you were, sorry, you were quoting Albert. I don't want other people telling her that she looks amazing. I want her to feel she looks amazing. Yeah. And so. He was, he was, had really amazing thoughts. Yeah. And so I feel like that became a business model for you in somewhat and that you design, you know, then you were designing clothes for men and women looking back. Do you feel like you worry too much about looking amazing versus feeling amazing? Like in regard to your own mental state? Much more now in my life, I pay attention to, to feeling from of myself. Okay. I think I was always conscious of, because part of starting it was you need to feel amazing. I always, there were certain things that Albert would say mm-hmm. and do that always stuck with me. Perfect is boring. Why would you want something to be perfect? It's not attainable. I still like think that that's something. Yeah, like amazing. the wool. He would always talk about because I remember he always kind of started the raw silk hem, mm-hmm. and many people. I feel like even once being in Barney's and someone was looking at a lamb dress, they're like, "But this hem isn't finished." Right. Like she didn't get <laughs> totally. it. They're like, totally. "That was cool." And Scott right now is wearing a pair of Bahia East silk pants with a raw, it's unfinished hem. Like it, and some people just won't ever get that, right. you know, that that's beautiful or cool, which has a lot to do with even your mental state that it's fine to be unfinished. Yeah. To be an unfinished totally. hem. It's actually more interesting. It's more interesting. Yeah. yeah. He would also say things like he didn't like the word powerful. He's like strong better. Interesting. Just because of, and so I really, why? I, uh, Strength is, uh, oh God, strength is better than power. Power can be something that almost is more ego, I think, driven Uh and strength is more from within and, you know, well, power is something that's given to someone, I guess you could say where strength is more inner strength. Right? Yeah. I don't know if that's... I'm not saying that's what he said, but maybe that's what he meant. That's kind of how I think of it, I think. Yeah. Or how my interpretation is. Um. (laughs) Okay. Um, So we're going to fast forward for a second. I just want to read... What was that? I? I don't know. Um, For those that are uh, just listening or not familiar with Out magazines, Scott right now is on the cover of Out, which he creative did all the creative direction for. Um, And I just, I want to read a quote that um, is in that article that it just came out on Monday. So in 2018 and 19, I went through breakups with both my business partner and fiance. Baja East was in severe debt. I was broke. And through it all, I publicly pretended that I was still thriving. Fashion is all about image and image was all I thought I had left, leaving me empty, depressed, and eventually suicidal. So, mm-hmm. before I read the second part of that <laughs> quote, um, can you take me through as, as much as you're comfortable with that, um, why did you feel it was important to say this? Um, and had you been, and then you can go on, like, had you ever been suicidal before? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I felt, okay, so number one, this opportunity came out of, absolute like nowhere I made a comment 
maybe like a year ago that I needed to be in, like, I'm like, I want to be more involved in, like, get in the gay world. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's really important. And all of a sudden one day my PR calls me and they're like, well, literally not even calls me. I was on a plane flying back from somewhere and they text me and they're like, um, we got you the cover of Out Magazine, but they also want you to guest, um, be the guest editor in chief and you can do whatever you want, but you have to be on the cover. And I immediately thought, I'm like, okay, well, putting me on the cover by myself is not really going to, yeah, that's like cool for me and maybe I'll like get some dates out of it. But like, what is that going to actually say? So I wanted to come up with a concept that I knew I had to create a fashion shoot, write an editor's letter, and then do an interview with their um, like editor Mm -hmm. at that time. So the fashion shoot, I wanted to say something. So I took this like, iconic image from Vanity Fair with Cindy Crawford and Katie Lang, who in 1993 was an out lesbian, which was like a really big deal. Mm -hmm. And it was this play of sexuality, sensuality, uh, gender, and Cindy Crawford's over Katie Lang, like about to like make out with her basically. Right. And her Brits took that picture, right? Yes. Okay. I was obsessed with Drag Race at the time and I'm like, oh my God, one of my friends came up with this. They brought up the Vanity Fair idea Mm -hmm. and... In my eyes, yes, I dress celebrities and, you know, and have had this brand, but I don't, I'm not like famous on Instagram and like have like hundreds of thousands of followers, you know, like, so I don't, people don't, I know people in fashion know what I do, but I don't think like general people know what I do. And I especially didn't think like Shay Coulee, who is this drag queen that had just won All Stars 5, like I said. I just try things, right? So what's the harm in us asking to see if Shea Coulee would be on the cover with me? They actually flew in. They said yes. They, like, flew in to do this cover to L.A. And it was perfect because I really wanted to play with the idea. And Shea ended up concepting with me, as did my stylist who came in, of this idea of a drag queen, which I'd never seen a drag queen in this sexual, sensual power Mm. play. Like... And that's how the cover was. And when you go in and look at the images, um, there's one where she's grabbing my head and, you know, about to like kiss me and is in the power position, um, which I liked playing with. And we actually switched and then I got to fulfill my dream of being put in drag by the most iconic drag queen of the moment right now, which is Shea Coulee. Wow. Um, So that was my selfish part. But I also thought it would be cool for me to start on my knees as the designer fitting Shea in a piece and we referenced all these, like, Aliyah images from the 90s, Versace yes. ads, and we did these poses like that. Um, and then as we go, I become, Shay takes that power position and then starts making me over, you know? And we started, and then I end up in, like, full drag, corset pulled, dick tucked, full right. makeup, full the whole thing. I didn't shave my pits, I didn't shave my chest, but, like, honestly, like, there's only so much I can do. Um, but I looked like it was really fun. I feel like my sister, when she was looking at the magazine, like um, didn't she just flipped the page? She didn't even know it was me. Really? She like didn't get it. No, she like didn't get it. I she, no, I'm like no, that's like that's actually me. Anyway, <laughs> so that was the fashion shoot part, which I felt like I want. I took fashion. I was able to give it, you know, some kind of messaging. Yeah. Um, and I love those images. Yeah. With the editor's letter, I wanted to use the platform to be super honest and therapeutic and I tried to have fun with it and you know I referenced like you know Ricky Martin in the first part because he was the cover before me and I'm like 
Ricky Martin was, they want me to be on the cover. Like, it doesn't even make sense to me. And it's still, you know, I'm very thankful that they did because then I got to use that platform as, you know, instead of just, I felt like talking about my journey because I had been so much, through so much, was important. Yeah. And I feel like being honest is important. I feel like the fashion industry in general right now is becoming more honest, potentially. Like, Basically, like there was a whole piece in the New York Times. Um, it was about sweatpants, and they oh, they got had quotes from Marc Jacobs and Anna Wintour, and um, this guy Scott Sternberg from Band of Outsiders, and they talk about the fashion industry. And essentially, my ex- entire experience at Lanvin, working in sales and the pressure four seasons a year to keep turning out product mm-hmm. and keep you know the stores buying more of it, and it just became this crazy cycle of. Mm-hmm. And then as a designer, I also experienced the the stress of always having to produce something new and creative and convincing people that they needed it and they needed new stuff. Um, and I love fashion and I love, you know, buying things personally that are new, you know, that I, that I'm connect with, but right. I feel like there's, there's a lot of product. There was a lot of product and there still is. So I, and that, that article was very honest, I thought about what was going on. And I felt like we could even be more honest about, you know, where I talk about the quote you said about image and how I couldn't let anyone know because image was all I had, you know, and I had since I had broken up with my ex-business partner and fought to keep my brand, you know, Mm -hmm. and had my personal shit going on too. And, you know, but but the brand thing was personal also because that was my best friend. We tried, we made it work for four and a half years, you know, right? and we knew that we always knew that it was a possibility that that would happen. So some people say friendship breakups are more devastating than romantic. Well, I wouldn't even be able to tell you because the two happened at the same time. So <laughs> they were both a mess. But I want to, because you always, you always, um, cause I, we became actually very close during that time. Yeah. You always appeared to me to be smiling and, and thriving. And mm-hmm. I, I want to know if you feel comfortable, what it is like, like what, why were you suicidal? First of all, my cancer, I'm cancer sun. All right, but don't, don't go into the rising. fashion stories. No, I'm not, I'm not going all right, fashion. All right, all right. I'm cancer sun and sag moon and rising. So I think when I'm around other people, mm-hmm. I'm definitely more animated and adventurous and like outgoing. And when I'm by myself in my house, which is why quarantine hasn't really been, you know, a shift <laughs> in my daily because I'm always working from home and stay home for the most of the time, I'm much more like in my own shell and I feel like sometimes when I'm in my own shell and during all when all of that was going on it was a mess I mean every day I'd have emails and phone calls with lawyers about my ex-business partner and my ex-shareholders wanting to liquidate the company and even though we owed hundreds of thousands of dollars to people and my name was behind that and I felt Mm -hmm. like I didn't feel like it was fair for the seamstresses and, you know, the fabric mills and the, whoever I was working with, the pattern makers, just to like leave them with, because we just wanted to move on. Mm -hmm. I I didn't want to move on. I thought it was the right thing to do to try to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I tried for a really long time. I would take investor meetings with anyone. I, and still at this point, I was still maintaining on Instagram and social media that everything was fine. And Celine Dion was buying stuff. She was right. wearing outfits. Got Everyone was still, all of that was still happening. But underneath, I was trying to like figure out what the fuck to do. And I had people every day like basically threatening to sue me. Right. And you know, like 
it was just a disaster. And then my personal relationship was falling apart because I was depressed. Right. I was depressed. I wasn't on any meds at the time. I had been depressed when I was in my early 20s in New York. And then I started seeing someone for three years, like a therapist, mm-hmm. and also got on medication, which I then... And you felt I didn't better doing that? Fully. Yeah, going to therapy um, and getting on the right yeah. medicine for you. Fully. And, but then I, didn't, I, I was in a place where I didn't really need it anymore for a long time. Mm-hmm. But all of this stress mm-hmm. and fear and wanting to do the right thing but not knowing how made me fully depressed again, mm-hmm. um, which affected my personal relationship at the time. And everything started like crumbling, at least in my head. You know? Yes. And I didn't real... That was a point in my life where it was really hard for me to be positive. And you always are so positive. That's why... That's one of the main reasons I wanted... Even before this article came out, I'd asked you to come on because you are always very positive and like a light and uplifting. And it's amazing to me that you're able to do that and I think we have to let people know that it's okay to not be that 24-7 fully it's not also not realistic it's not realistic and I feel that way too where people are like why aren't you being funny or telling jokes and I'm like I'm really not having a good day I don't want to tell you a fucking joke so that's what I actually so I started just when people would ask I literally dreaded going home to see my family I knew that all the people who believed in me right. and was ex- were excited I about what I was doing because they would all be like, Oh my God, what's happening? And I'd be like, well, I'm depressed, suicidal. <laughs> and everyone's trying to sue me. I have no money. I'm broke. And so instead, Oh, it's my phone. I thought I turned it on silent. I guess I didn't No, It's, I don't, it's going to be something dramatic. I don't, it's going to be, well, I don't even know who that that's Maryland. I bet you this is like, uh, is this my, my family calling? I, I was, by the way, I was... Is it off? I was so... Silent mode off. Okay, silent mode's on now. I think I thought I turned it... I think I did the opposite. I was so ready to yell at you. Did you see that? <laughs> I saw it. I was a turn around. I was she like... Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, this is shit. Thanks. Sorry. Okay. What was I saying? So you were saying yeah, that... I So I didn't want to go home because I knew people would ask me what's going on. And I didn't want... I was just sick of lying to people. So right. Then I just decided I'm not, I'm not. And I also, even in LA, my friend, cause I just moved to LA. I didn't want to go out and talk to people because then they were going to ask me what was going on. Right. And I was going to have to be like, everything's great. The weather's amazing. Right. <laughs> you know, like, and you so just So we like, went, we would go to Dantana's. Yes. Where we wouldn't see our friends, but we right. saw Ron Jeremy. Yes. Amazing. And that's, Iconic. and that's, and we just lived our, our, our lives. Yeah. In a real way, but I get it. You so you felt pressure going out, totally, and you do feel pressure. I think, and even anyone, none of from my like family it, too. Like you feel like, oh, I did, haven't succeeded. I don't want to go home. I feel like that would feel like that a lot. Yeah. So I think something happened where I'm just like, you know what? I'm just gonna tell people. I'm just gonna be honest and be like, actually, things suck right now. Right. And so I just started like saying that instead mm-hmm. and being more realistic with things. And then I think me being able to do that also helped shift my energy into somehow, well, I started wearing all white during the day. I don't know what happened, but I just went in my closet one day and I'm like, I need to feel fucking happier. Did you want to just wear white to sort of 
cleanse yourself or was it something you had seen a, a, an image a film no it was a song just, it was just it was just that was your just like, intuition anything what would make me happier right now okay Can anything assist okay you're like <laughs> i'll take anything i'll take these white silk clothes okay so i started wearing white and i'm like this is cool i'm like i feel i do feel like lighter, lighter. i feel like i just feel better so right. I would start doing things that made me feel better. And then I would start being a, something happened where I started being thankful for, I was completely broke, but, but you I, had me and Dan Tamas. Yeah. I had you and Dan Tamas. <laughs> I figured out how to make like a really being broke also like made me realize what I actually needed. Right. Versus, um, like I was okay actually because I could borrow like 200 bucks and make it last for like a good two weeks for f of food or even longer. I would cook, like I'd figure out how to cook things and like spread them out. I also like ran on caffeine a lot, which wasn't good for me um, okay. and stopped eating as much, which wasn't good for me either. But I lost, I lost 16 pounds from January to I think uh, April. Okay. Which was, but, So but, there's a positive for being depressed? Well, yeah. Losing weight? Losing weight's great because I had gained weight from that summer through January. I gained a lot of weight. Like I, you literally, I showed up at this one event, um, this CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund event, and of course I was like standing next to like a supermodel because she was my date. And so I, but I remember like looking, and I had a mustache at the time, but my face was like definitely fuller. Okay. To the point where I facetuned the picture that I was gonna post on Instagram and like gave myself a chin lift. We've all been there, okay? We've all, I mean, I am guilty of the face tune, and it's, it's interesting because, like, will we all ever get out of that mode, you know? And I don't, I don't mean you or me. I mean, like, society mm -hmm. of trying to present this perfect image, and, and now that you can even face tune anything, and, and what's even more interesting is I was talking with this with someone the other day, is yeah, I know even people that have had so much plastic surgery, but they're still face tuning. So no one is happy with what they look like. You could be well, they, surgery they down. Know what they look like? Anyway. No, no one knows what they look like, <laughs> and no one looks like a face tune picture. And now people are bringing face tune and filter photos into plastic surgeons. You know, kids, and it's just this it's crazy. Thing. I think everyone everyone Can you has give their some own advice thing. On that? I think everyone has their own thing. Like I at one point had the opportunity to get free whatever I wanted. And I had Botox and I had filler and it only lasted for a few months, but I looked crazy and yeah. I, I'm a very expressive on my face and yeah. when I didn't have lines in my forehead for me, it looked weird. Yeah. But I know people who love Botox. It's like perfect for them. It's like, you know, right. and it helps maintain whatever. Some people like everyone, I think, I think that, uh, I think this is it. I think we should stop projecting whatever, like everyone is on their own journey and whatever they need to go through that journey, just, you know, support them as long as they're not hurting themselves, you know, right. let them do their thing and stop like being so judgmental of other people's stuff because you don't actually know what they're going through. Just like you saw me, you could have, you didn't, but like, you could have been like, why? I don't know. You basically didn't know what was actually going on with me. And you were one of my, like, you were close to my life. So imagine like you just running into someone, you have no fucking clue. They're talking about the weather because they don't want to actually talk about what's right. going on, you know? And maybe that's like one of the reasons because like they're like partners yelling at them every day that they're fat and yeah. actually not telling one about that. So then that's psychologically whatever. And everyone's dealing with shit. That's what I know, uh, you know? So. Absolutely. 
So I just think being conscious of that will help us be accepting of, you know, everyone, maybe. So that's could be yeah. a, a recommendation. <laughs> well, do you... Well, the other, the other part of your quote was, um, and I'm quoting Scott from out, is, I was told mentioning that these things will make you look unstable. Mm-hmm. And you're referencing the empty, depressed, suicidal... But I've realized that feeling down is nothing to be ashamed of. Being perfect isn't realistic for anyone. Mm-hmm. And not being honest about my journey would only add fuel to the fear surrounding the topic. So encouraging those who need help to stay isolated for fear of being judged. And none of us want that. So yeah. you, do you feel like now you can be open if you're going through not a good time? You know what? One of the people who she's a big mental health advocate is is Gaga. Mm-hmm. And two Grammys ago, I remember we were at her house drinking, you know, afterwards. And as it, one does, that's friends with Gaga, <laughs> but, guys. Uh, so, but we were we ended up talking, and I remember she was just going through her. That was like the first night she didn't wear her engagement ring. Um, so she was going through a breakup. Adele was there, which was also weird. And she was going through a divorce. And then I was there and we were all talking about our like breakups. But the one thing I couldn't talk about, like when everyone was there was the fact that I was completely broke and also had all this other stuff going on. Right. But I remember at the end of the night, we started talking about mental health. I mentioned that like it got to the point of suicide and we just basically were like, it's important to talk about these things. If people are not talking about them, it is that you feel isolated. So I think that was also one of the times where I'm just like, I'm not, I'm going to stop telling people because I made that decision that night because I felt comfortable mm-hmm. in saying I actually things were not going well. You know, I am not doing well. I'm fucking depressed right now. And so talking about those things are actually important. And when we don't talk about them, there's a stigma around them, especially that because not being well it's it's that there and and not so I think it's important to talk about those things. Yeah. So that's why I wrote that in hopes that if there are people who feel isolated reading that that I used this opportunity to at least open up that I'm on the cover of Out magazine right now and a year ago I wanted to kill myself and knew exactly where I was going to do it. Really? You had planned it? Oh, yeah. I knew exactly. I was like, I'm going to do it. And I thought about it like, I know, it's really, I know. I've been through it. So for me, it's not like I can just talk about it. Yeah. And not be like, I've kind of had time to like deal with the emotions of all of that. And I'm glad I didn't. Of course. Where had you planned to do this? It it was like, there was like an area in the back that was like a fence that was kind of high. Your house now or your apartment? Yeah, no, my, my house now. So I, and I was like, I can hang something from there and then that's where I'll be and that's where they'll find me. It was really fucked up and really, really dark. The whole thing was really dark. Scott. Yeah. So anyway. Um, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I know. That you felt that, that isolated yeah. and. Well, that's because I wouldn't talk to anyone. Right. So then I started like letting in like, like I think I told my sister and one of my friends at the time and, you know, and then opening that up and starting to talk to people and even my ex-fiance knew and like so we were at least you know there were people you were able to tell him or people that used to be close and I think that's really really important and the problem is when people don't say anything and don't feel like they can talk about it and and at the time I wasn't like I didn't like I knew that there were numbers to call but I just like that wasn't in my head, I was just like, it just wasn't an option for me. It just didn't come up. I don't know. You were probably which is, which already... Which is not good. You were too far at that point 
sometimes people get too far to call, I, I think, a number to talk to it. And I'm not saying don't do that, but I think sometimes when you get so far down that line, you don't, you don't think of doing that. You know, I mean, I was uh, doing some research the other day and I didn't realize that men commit suicide more than women. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it's, uh, I had to check the statistic, but I think it's like 40% more. And I think a a big part of it is that men, many men, and even gay men, like don't feel like they can talk about their feelings. They feel like they have to keep it in. They have to just Mm. work, 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 money, 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 you know, on this roller coaster. And this guy said that... Like three of the things for men that if you are suicidal, it'll be that you have a sense of not belonging, of being alone. You're talking mm-hmm. about being isolated. You have a sense of not contributing or being a bird or of being a burden. And the third one is very dark, but I've even been there myself. It's like a capability for suicide. You're not afraid to die. And when those three things align, it's it's not great. And if you add in like drinking or anything yes. that's mind altering that right. will help like push you towards that, it's right. really not good. That's really a very bad. good point. That's a very um, good point. So anyway. Okay, moving. Sorry <laughs> to bring it really down. No, but it's We important. were talking about Lon Ven and Barney's guys, but yeah. now we have to be real. So, right. Okay. So, so basically like, I think it is important to talk about this stuff because then people don't feel so alone or that they're going through something that's weird or they should be ashamed it's a shame it's it's just being being depressed it's normal that because there's so many people that have that but it's almost like it becomes a thing when you don't do anything about it you know like it and there's always something you can do even though you may feel like there's nothing you can do there's always something you can do and that's when I when I had when I was really broken had nothing I was thankful that I had enough money to pay my rent that month Mm -hmm. or thankful that I had like, there's always something as shitty as your day is that you can refocus. So that was what it really was is refocusing Mm -hmm. and being honest. So yes, I'm having a shitty day, but at least, you know, I can go for a hike with my dogs. Exactly. And that's free. Yeah. I'm thinking of free things. Yeah. So masturbate. You can do that too. It's great. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's free. Free. Uh huh. Okay. Um. So. So yeah. So just re- refocusing, and then also feeling like you're not alone, and trying to look at the positive positive things. Because I was a positive person, right? And I think that's, and I think also, I just want to say, a lot of people are fake positive. You know who you are, <laughs> and <laughs> and Scott is not so. Um, I really can't stand fake positive. I'd rather have someone be like, I am having the worst fucking day of my life. I want to like kill my, everyone. Like I just can't take it. But so Scott, I think you're just naturally, that's just kind of innate in you. But I don't know you where you get it. If you came and said that, if you came and said that, then I'd be able to actually help you. Exactly. Do you know what I'm that's saying? What I mean. Like you, you open yourself up to then, yes, you're vulnerable, but then people actually understand where you are if they're listening. If they're in tune. And that's also where you understand mm-hmm. you can put once you put that stuff out there, you understand who in your life is good for you, really. And, and you can't tell what I found, and I've learned this from um probably my shrink in New York, you can't expect to get everything from everyone. Totally. There's certain friends they can take the deep stuff, and yep. then there's friends that want to just be more on the fluff side. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. 
And I think where people get, even in a relationship, like you're not going to get everything from that person. Yeah. And I think with mental health, people have to realize that like, maybe there's just one person you can get real with about how you're feeling, your mm-hmm. depression, anxiety. And that's, and that's fine. Like, or, and some people have five people. And I think, um, recognizing that is important. Yeah, and I think the the minute you start talking about how you're actually feeling makes it easier to then talk about it again, assuming you've opened up to someone who's not going to, you know, because that's the fear. The fear is actually that you're going to be judged and that people aren't going to treat you the same. It's very similar to coming out of the closet because you're coming out of the closet about your mental health. You know what I mean? So, because when I came out of the closet, I was like, even though... Clear. I was like in the fashion. I definitely had feminine gestures. I was very cautious about how I acted though. Like I wouldn't talk with my hands so much when I was in high school. Like I would be very cautious about it because that was a dead giveaway that, you know what I mean? I remember my family saying, cause my cousin would do that. Yeah. And they were like, is he gay? He, he is. But it's like coming out of the closet again, because you're afraid that people are going to judge you differently. But in fact, if you have the right people around you, that's a fucking blessing. If you don't, there are literally so many numbers you can call and you may not know the people, but even talking to someone that doesn't know you, that, that's a judge-free zone, right. you know? And that's almost even a better way to just start in, yeah. in a way if you don't have, if you're afraid to come out to someone about your mental health in your circle. Right. Because they can then help guide you, you know, about whatever that is. And, and that made, stuff putting- is free. Yes, and also free, well, maybe not papers and pens, but you could write on a bathroom stall how you're feeling. Just, I always like putting pen to paper because I feel like it helps release the power of whatever you're thinking Mm -hmm. in the similar way you're saying talking to someone. Yeah, so many therapists say, will say like, write it out. You don't have to give it to the person. You can burn it. Write out what you're feeling and get it out out of you. Yeah. Um, And then you read it back and you're like, Okay. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's not as scary mm-hmm. for some. For me, that's. I find that really helpful. Um. So. So luckily, I got out. Uh, I I was able to get out. Of yes. That now that was two thousand nine. That was like yeah, like the start two thousand the end of two thousand eighteen beginning of two thousand nineteen in the beginning that was like around that time. Okay. It was tough. It was like a very rough time and then somehow when I started changing my thinking and started being thankful for things and started wearing all white during the day and just feeling better right I I started attracting things in my life that were positive more positive good for you and I somehow even out of nowhere just I started saying yes to things like I started going out and that I did start going out and being more social and not with people I knew were going to be like toxic, horrible people. But like, if I was like, okay, yeah, I could, I could go for like, you know, drinks at someone's house and, right. you know, started small, but, um, you could come for my dog's birthday. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> bring your dog, but I, I was able to like leave the house cause I didn't want to leave and talk to see anyone for a while. So then, but then I started attracting new things. I, even though my business was going down, like my, even I did get outvoted And my company was liquidated. But at the same time, because I believed everyone in my life wanted me to give up fighting for this. They were like, Mm. not because they didn't believe in me, but because they were... They saw what it was doing to you. 
Correct. And they were like praying. They're like, just put your resume together. You're so talented. Mm -hmm. Another company will hire you. And I had my resume open on my computer for over a month and I like couldn't even update it. Like I tried, but I couldn't. So I kept trying because this debt was looming, even though they were won this vote to liquidate the company. I still believed I could like sort it out. So I was able to find an investor to come in. It came out of nowhere. That you, that you created really for yourself. And I, along with yeah. that, Joshua Tree is an important place for you. Yeah. Um, when did you first visit there? Was this after this? In January 2019. It was like January 2nd. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And... Um, I was a disaster. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But can you tell me about... The, you were a disaster when you Mentally. went there. Mentally. But you had a bit, bit of an awakening there. Yeah. I think that's when I started to... Sh- I don't know. If it's a very grounding place. I was with a friend at the time and we were like talking about how bad things were. Okay. Again, getting out of me and talking. So you were there and you were commiserate. You were yeah, with I- someone you felt safe and... Yeah, exactly. And I think being there for like a good like four day period of like just like not really having my... I don't know. It was just a. I started reframing things because okay. I was able to take a step back from like. So you took time off from your phone. Yeah. I think that's important for people, honestly, that yeah. are mentally just my. I think it's important to take even days off of Instagram. You just, especially if you're in a creative mind, I think it really helps cleanse your brain. Mm-hmm. So, sure. so you were there, and you, like, it seems like because that that really. Uh, brought about the spring 2020 collection, right? It sort of was like a new lease on life from there. Yeah, so I started, the, my first collection was this collection that I basically just showed Women's Wear Daily and it was like an all-white collection mm-hmm. of like some new shapes, some signature shapes that I brought back and that's how I, I wanted to start with this all-white, clean, fresh slate because that had like, for me mentally, like been a place of like renewal. And then... For my first shoot, I actually had money to do a photo shoot. So I went to Joshua Tree, flew in one model from Berlin, one from New York, one from London. and This it was, was like after January. Two from London, actually. Yeah, I had four, these four beautiful, amazing, talented models who, and we shot at this like awesome, like mirrored house in the desert. Mm-hmm. And I had 50 looks and it was a, a dream. And then not only did I do that, and then that went on Vogue Runway and Women's Wear and I had thankfully like amazing reviews about you know me designing on my own and creatively being you know can do it on my own yeah um it was your com- then, second coming out story huh yeah huh? and then um <laughs> and then <laughs> and then I went to New York and then did something for that because I'd lived in LA and but then I did something for the editors and stylists in New York and did a, a basically what I used to do at Neiman Marcus at 8 30 a.m I did a clinic for all these people <laughs> but I did four in a row Four clinics in a row where I brought out my models. I talked about is the inspiration of the Is that what they actually the called it or is that what you call it? We called it clinics. Yeah. It was like, like a clinic. Like the inside. Was that like the insider In word? sales. Yeah, that's in sales. Like everyone who works at a brand, like they have to go and do clinics at, at Neiman's at 8.30 a.m. Wow. Okay. So, but I basically did clinics. I did like a few, they were, I think it was a 13 minute presentation mm-hmm. where they sat down. I brought my models out. I had a quartet playing in the back and they were playing like, California Love and California Girl and Hotel California and all these Cali things. I brought my rugs from my house in Laurel Canyon. I had a lava lamp. I had like a cactus. So I basically recreated my living room and just brought them a little like dose of sunshine. Yeah. And it was really cool. 
That's then I did a pre-fall collection. Then I did my fall runway show at the Edition Hotel here. And now... Yes, I was, I was there and I have to say, how do we not have COVID from that? That was it. That, that was, was February seventh. But still, Sixth I know people seven. that yeah. got COVID in LA around the time. And that was that was. You know the, what? We we actually could have. There were there were people on my team who there was one guy who he got so sick for like a good three weeks. I mean, um, it was for everyone listening. Scott had a show here in LA at this. It was in a basement of a hotel, beautiful space, but it was literally like three hundred people mm-hmm. in a small space. Yeah. February seventh. Yeah. Could have been a super spreader. Totally. We it, did have, there were um, some big hats with fringe covering the faces. Okay, so that, that was kind of a mask. Yeah. The fringe, the fringe <laughs> could have, hat. It could have helped some of the models. It could have helped some of the models. Um, which actually, I'm glad you just mentioned that. It brings me to, uh, which was really then before the show, January 26th, the Grammys. Yeah. I feel like that was um, a big day for you and yeah. your new chapter with Baja East. And it, also, now that you know what I was doing the year before at the Grammys, which was being completely depressed and drinking my face off, even if I was with celebrities, celebrities are normal people. They have like the same problems we do. So it's not like they're like, really? Oh, they're wow. Not, they're not. Okay, guys, celebrities are normal it's not, people. It's not that like, it's not like. I know a, what you mean. But, but so. When I in the, my mental state that year, and then I'm dressing Billy Porter, and like I basically got to do be as creative. Like I got to go there, and like I basically got to dress like a gay unicorn. Yeah, you know? I, well, that's what I'm saying. Like it was it was the night it of the, the Grammy Awards. Billy ever. Porter wore this epic fringe extravaganza, which you created. Where did the inspiration come from? Uh, I was obsessed with disco. My whole fall collection was disco. And there were, like, these flare pants I was doing. I had already been obsessed with, like, fringe. I think that's part of me. So at, at Lanvin, Albert would go extra a lot of the times. And I loved that part. And my ex-business partner, when we started the brand, he was very minimalistic. He came from Celine. So there was always this there was always this push and pull of, like, where he would want minimal. And I'm like, let's put sparkles on it. But that could be good. <laughs> that's good because it's like a yin and a yang. Yeah, it was good for the time. So okay. now it's great that I'm by myself and I get to do whatever I want. Exactly. So in in this case, I got to put literally crystal fringe all over everything and then put like hand-placed crystals all over everything. And then the base fabric was crystal stretch. And so we, and that was a fabric I was already using in my collection. Right. And it was we like a just, sparkle jersey. Sorry, yeah. And, right? Turquoise and jersey. His, his stylist at the time had come over just to like talk about doing looks the following Who was his fall, stylist? Sammy Rattel. Okay. And he came over to just talk about doing something for Billy. In this was uh, like a, a literally like a week and a half before the Grammys. Wow. And we were talking about doing something in the fall. Oh. And we're, yeah, you know, like we're in this di- like disco's perfect. We'll do something around there and blah 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 blah. I don't know what ended up happening, but then uh, the next day he texts me and he's like, "Let's like, can you do something for the like? Let's do this for the Grammys actually, like now." So then. And then he found... That's such the typical way the fashion world works. It's yeah. like, so you have four days. <laughs> Actually, we needed this yesterday. Yeah. Um, Good luck. And he was able to find a milliner to do the hat part yeah. of the outfit. Was that we, your idea, the hat opening and closing? It was part of my original sketch. And it was Sammy's idea to have it open and close. Because I had been doing the bucket hats with fringe. And, these, and I had had these big um, cowboy hats with fringe for my fall show that I was doing with Gigi Burris in New York. Right. But... Sam's the reason it came up is because he's like, well, Billy would. Ne- I want to put Billy in one of those, but he would never let me cover his face. You know, that was so epic when so it was like. He ah. found someone who was able to 
create that. So yeah, in my sketch, I had the hat with fringe and the whole thing. And then he was able to find um, Sarah Soko, who did who was able to work with this company, Smooth Technology, wow. who did this open and close on the hat she made. And I gave her the fabric and we did the crystals. And so everything like kind of came together like that. Yeah. Who was holding the remote to like open he and was. close it? Uh, he first, Sammy, his stylist <laughs> was. And then, wait, was... Sammy? I think Sammy was. Okay. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. And then literally like 500,000 me- memes were born from this. Yeah. There were, there were like <laughs> 2 billion impressions of it. Like it Forbes would write about amazing. it. There were like random, like Republican, like I think Trump's son or something like did a meme of it. Like Stop. there were like all these like things where it like went everywhere. It was like. It even crossed political parties. Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. And I'm like, you cannot claim that. I'm like, literally you're homophobic. Like get out. Which like son? Like, Baron? I don't know. I, don't, I forget. Oh. It was one of them, though. It was like... It so was if like, Trump wanted you to make that hat for him, it'd be a big no. Yeah. I'd put poison in it. <laughs> poison. <laughs> um, yeah, that was so Actually, awesome. maybe I would make it for him so we wouldn't have to look at his fucking face. And you could just close oh, it in it. That was... It wouldn't open. It wouldn't open. <laughs> um, so you kind of already talked a little bit about this but looking back when you were when were you truly happy when Baha East first had its success yes you were yeah but I was truly happy for me for what I could be happy for at the time because I was like a very different person but yeah I was happy okay I was like I'm like this is fucking cool okay and so you that's good that you were recognizing that even though it felt like a blur Mm -hmm. you felt happy and then being engaged and in like the Cinderella like full fish story yeah okay yeah. Oh, I know. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. And so now it does seem like success. It's sweeter in the sense that you are being more real and open and that it's on your terms, right? That there's no veneer to it. I truly yeah, don't. I don't. True? I don't well, I'm, I'm way more like, I'm not going to like fucking like put every single thing out there, but I'm not going to, I'm not never going to go back into a place where I'm hiding. I, I don't want to, I think it's way better to live your life openly and honestly and no not everyone wants to hear every single thing that's going on but you know no we don't want to hear anyone's like hp i mean you do i do actually that's that's true um (laughs) i would like to know because and and on a side note uh this last night my friend danny and i were watching paris is burning Uh and one of the men is coming down the runway he's in the like an executive suit with the fur they stop and they say, no, that's a woman's coat. Yep. But he says, no, this is, or so they say, no, that's a man's coat. It's, it's buttoning on the right, right? Yeah, and he yeah, goes, yeah, no, yeah. it's woman's, it's buttoning on the left. And then Danny told me that we think men's jackets are always made to button on the right because me- most men's dicks swing to the left. Is this true? I don't know. All right. I, That's I, very interesting. Well, you I, should do a whole episode no, on no, that. We, no, we need to because, of course, Danny could not stop laughing because I was like, wait a minute, let me think. The interesting thing, I need though, to think of all the like, and what, right? And now I'm really fascinated. Is that why even any... No, flies are on the left. On, his opens on the right and it should open on the right. The, the fly should... Yes. And, the zipper would be under... Yes, so it's opening on the right. Yeah. Okay, so that really means... Then what's Danny saying to the right? Anyway, I'm... The thing is, if your dick's soft, it's not going to go left or right. It's just going to hang. It's when it gets hard. Some are more of a hook. 
When it's soft, though, gravity just brings it down. When it's semi-hard or hard, then well, it then, will start taking shape. Well, then why are we making coats that only button on the right? And the pants, I mean, I, we for were- For flashers, I don't we know. We were talking about this for like 25 minutes. I don't know, but I'm, Paris is Burning actually, so disco was like one of my inspirations for um, when Sammy and I were talking about my collection, but Paris is Burning actually was also. Oh like yes, my honey, first... I know opulence, yeah. you owe everything. And so I, I actually wanted to start, infu- and then Billy, who's on Pose, was, yeah. that was already going on in my collection, and then Billy, who's on Pose and like, which is celebrating, you know, yes. and telling the story of that culture. I had that moment. So it was a very, um, it was very organic. I don't know. Like, yeah, no, I mean, that's, it was telling the whole like ballroom culture of New York and the, and then tying that into late eighties. And I was basically trying to celebrate that, that like that culture, which came out of basically black gay culture yes. at the time that was being super suppressed and then bringing it to, I don't know, fashion and, well, no, I mean, it's true. Like, something that's so interesting in that film and that and so many people are familiar with that. If you're not, it's, it's a great movie and you should watch it. Paris is Burning. But basically, one of the huge things that I didn't even... I hadn't watched it in so long. I watched it last night. Was that so many men just wanted to wear a business suit and walk down a, a runway because they weren't allowed to be businessmen right. in the real world. Yes. So I course was in tears but yeah. I just I thought that was really cool and I don't I don't remember that from that film I remember like everyone done up and joining me yeah. and, and voguing and carrying on but I don't remember just this that people just wanted to wear a business suit and be, have respect basically. and have respect and then that is where the fur jacket and the button right. came up so right. I'm not and then they got in a huge fight about that in the documentary because of like how important it was for yes that you yeah. had to be wearing the men's and not the women's but then I really want to know what way most men's dicks are swinging so if anyone could dm me or just i i don't know look at your husband boyfriend i i'm <laughs> interested could we do tally. could we do a poll i know the i know right now it's very important election polls but could we do a dick swing poll isn't it to the left i'm gonna text danny because danny ha- danny was very certain about this and then i i had to think back to my encounters and ask um, me about fabrics or something like that <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to the sparkly stretch okay let's go back to the sparkly stretch okay so we close every episode with five questions what do you do for a mental break I go and I have a awesome bathtub that has jacuzzi jets that's really big and I've put like crystals and I have candles and I have like eucalyptus now and I keep kind of that's my little haven I don't leave my house much I didn't before but I've all I've gone I'll go there like I'd say like five nights a week I'm in there yeah and I basically put some, there's this like really cool app called Endel E-N-D-E-L and they basically Ooh. do this stuff with brain waves and sound so yeah like you know how some people will listen to the ocean it's mm-hmm. essentially specifically they'll have something for sleep that programs your brain to like get into that thing or there's one for work cool um, that there's like this beat and I don't know it gets your brain anyway so I ha- I put that on either my sleep or my chill depending on like what I'm gonna do mm. and put my phone away and like do that the other the one other time I'll do that is I walk my dogs and I leave my phone in the house so it's it is getting away from my phone and those two things since I started doing them 
really help me either zone out or have clear thoughts. Um, you're, so I do the exact same thing. I'm in the bath or and I never take my phone when I walk Arthur. So if I fall down a hill, oh well. But yeah. But yes, no, you're, you're clearing thoughts. And a lot of people will talk about how water is very healing. So you feel like getting in the bath, you're not in that. Yeah, and I think also I was taking baths for a while, and then I'm and I was reading more into like my signs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm so I'm a Cancer, which is a water sign, and then I'm Sagittarius Moon and Rising, which is a fire sign. And I'm like in these like hot baths, and I'm like, oh my god, this is like who I am. I'm in like I'm in like a hot bath. When is the last time you cried? Oh my god, watching This Is Us, literally. I, every episode of This Is Us is the one of the only times I cry. And, okay, two things. There's, both are super embarrassing. Um, that is kind of embarrassing. This Is Us, I always cry. And then on I've watched every season of Love Island, Australia and UK, except I don't watch the American version because it's bullshit. Um, but on well, the UK version, there's um, six, uh, six seasons. And on the second to last season, they bring the families in. And you're already, like, so emotionally, like, in these, like, people's lives. When the families come and everyone's crying, I always cry. So, yeah, it's the Love Island family episode, and then This Is Us. Okay. That's so, those are the times I cry. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's it. That's a lot of crying. Then. I know. All right. But that's good to know. If someone wants to cry at home, they can watch that show. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you currently reading? Could be anything. Do you know how to read? (laughs) No, I'm going to have to come clean. (laughs) I I bought this book of poems. I don't even know. I don't... I really don't read that much, in all honesty. I just don't read. That's fine. I, I would... I really don't. I have some books with, like, positive affirmations that I have in my bedroom that I'll, like, go to. Right. Um, every so often. Well, what I'm about music? What music are you listening to right now? Because you're a big music person. Right now, either like Gladys Knight, Aretha, and like Shaka Khan, and like Etta James, and like Diana Ross. Okay. Love it. Or like 90s R&B, like SWV Total, Mariah Carey, uh, Whitney, um, Aaliyah, like that stuff. You always love a 90s R&B. Or like Chromatica. Um, what is the best and worst advice you've been given? Best could be my Bobby, who I quoted in the out mm-hmm. article. And she'd say, if you're, if like basically if today's not good, be thankful you have tomorrow, you know? So that's, I think the best advice. Cause that also helped me, like it just helps you reframe things mm-hmm. um, and not feel so trapped. The worst advice it could be advice that even you took as good, you know, like, it could be, like, advice that you used for good. I would know immediately that it was trash and I wouldn't listen to it. I don't know. Okay. I'm trying to think of what the worst, if someone tried to tell me Love Island US was, like, a great thing, I'd be like, no, it's trash. Okay. I don't know. Is that a good example? No, I it's think, not. I, I don't know. No, I mean, but maybe that's... Worst advice. But that's, maybe that's a testament to your positive mind. <laughs> like, I hang on to, like, all the horrible things people have, <clears throat> advice people have given me. Maybe you don't. Um, that's good. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think I do so much. I stopped listening, I think, a lot to other people. Especially people I don't respect or don't know. 
I'm not going to listen to someone I don't know or respect. Right. So maybe those are the people that told me shit. You mean Perhaps. just like in socially, someone that you don't know or that tries to tell you something, or you mean just I don't like know. I'm really bad at this one question. I feel like I've been pretty good this whole time. Yeah, you've this is a real me. letdown. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll just have to end it on this, this note. No, no, no. <laughs> one more. Oh, okay. I have a I have a chance to redeem myself. You have a chance to redeem yourself. I know. Yeah, it's like a quiz show. What you'll like this question. What Instagram account do you find uplifting? Oh my god. There are like some really, I think I need to laugh sometimes, especially with all the shit going on. Yeah. Um, there's this one guy, I don't even watch the Kardashian reality show, but there's this one guy, Benny Drama, and he does these yeah. impressions of the Kardashians, which I think are fucking hilarious. He's so, so funny. I, I'd say that's my like go-to. When he does um, Courtney, I literally like, I, I could watch that on repeat. Like, yeah, he's so funny. I love his hairdresser and, and the face shield now. Like, yeah. Like the, oh my God, the hairdresser's amazing. The hairdresser, the hair, like, Jenny. overshares. Jenny, yeah, Jenny. overshare. Yeah, who's on Crystal Math. Yeah, it's, she's so, it's she's, that, she, he is so good. Um, yeah, I, I go there. I okay. also like Karen's Gone Wild because they oh basically are this account that shuts down racists and gets them fired from their jobs and stuff. Oh, which I think really? Is like doing it's justice. not just like a funny video account. I don't know that one. So, no, it's like, it's basically like justice. Maybe it's like my Law & Order SVU, but like okay. Instagram. For Karen's. Yes. All right. And Kevin's. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. Um, we are thrilled to have you. And Scott, tell us where our listeners can find you. Like all your handles, maybe a street corner you hang out at, <laughs> just where we can find you. <laughs> well, I'm not, I don't leave my house, so you can't okay. really find me anywhere but there. You're but not on the I'm, streets. My personal is at Scott Studenberg, and then at Baja East, B-A-J-A-E-A-S-T. Is the brand. Okay, is perfect. Brand. Yeah. That's all, folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better HBU, and we can be found on Apple and Spotify, and tune in next time. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better. How about you? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.